Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I like to tell people to make small mistakes. I think a lot of people out there are always looking for the perfect deal or so scared to make a mistake that they get to the point of the paralysis of analysis. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R dot com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. T Furlow. How you doing, T? I'm doing great, Joe. Great to be on. Yeah, nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about T. He is a commercial real estate broker with Deaton Investment Real Estate. He has diversified real estate background and has been a multifamily broker for more than 10 years. He handles the operations and general brokerage duties, as well as working with sellers to market their properties for sale. He consults investors as well on buying decisions based in Raleigh, North Carolina. So with that being said, T, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, Joe, and thank you for the introduction again. So I've been a commercial broker, really specializing in multifamily for the last 10 years, working a small private shop here in Raleigh that sells properties all across North Carolina, anything from two to 200 plus units. So we work with beginning investors on up to institutional investors. And really is a lot of fun. We get to interact with a lot of different types of people and obviously have many great relationships across the market. And it's fun. We've been able to see a lot of folks kind of grow up from buying duplexes to controlling a thousand units, kind of like your story. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a neat mix of folks that we get to work with. The beginning to institutional investors from two to 200 units, a question that is asked frequently is it's more of a complaint from beginning investors. So it's not really a question. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. And the complaint from beginning investors who are looking to get into 
larger apartment buildings is that the brokers just won't give them the time of day because it's relatively across everywhere. It's pretty hot for multifamily. So first off, what are your thoughts on that? Well, unfortunately, there's a little bit of truth to it. And I'd be lying to you if I said that certain days I have to make a decision. Am I going to work with client A that's bought multiple properties before or client B that I've never worked with? So I think some of that is just the uncertainty with a beginning investor. The question that goes through a broker's mind is, are they really going to pull the trigger on something? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I guess what I would counter that with is as a beginning investor, it helps to take steps to prove to your broker that you are serious. And I can tell you that some of the people that I've had success with kind of graduating those steps from beginner to more seasoned investor have walked into my office and said, your time is valuable and I want to pay you for it even if I don't buy anything. And oftentimes I've declined that payment, but what it's done is proven to me these folks are actually going to do something about what they say. I had not heard that approach. I love it. Thank you for giving that dialogue back and forth. And how much do they offer to pay? Great question. I think that the buyers or investors that are in that position look at a a seasoned broker and whether that's me or or somebody in California or some other state that's in a similar situation, they're going to look at that broker really as a consultant. And so Mm -hmm. we've seen rates offered in that sort of consulting range of $150, $200 an hour. And again, in the grand scheme of things, if somebody says, I want to come in and pay you $150, $150 is great. But what I'm hoping is I want to turn this person into somebody that's going to go from that to buying 10 properties with me throughout my career. And it's just kind of that initial step that kicks things off and tells us that they're serious. I love that. I'm going to make a note of referencing this interview for anyone who asks me about how to really establish credibility with a broker. And that's not the only way. That is one way. And ultimately, it is addressing, sounds like, the uncertainty of the question that is in your mind or a broker's mind. Are they really going to pull the trigger on something? So what are some other things? You said that you have people who have taken steps to prove that they are serious or that's the approach to take. So tactically, what are some other things an investor can do to prove that they will pull the trigger? Another great question. I give people a handful of of suggestions and really from our side of the table, it's almost like marching orders and the people that come back and say, okay, I've done this, again, move to the top of the list. And I think the first thing that a buyer really has to do for themselves is acclimate themselves to the market. As you well know, real estate is a local and even hyper-local business. Mm -hmm. And I can sit here and tell you this area of Raleigh is great and this area of Raleigh or Durham is one you should stay away from. But I really would be doing you a disservice because as fast as the market is changing, And as fast as our market in particular is growing, I know it's happening in other cities across the country, you drive block by block and those generalizations change. So a buyer that's willing to get in the car and go drive by properties, not just ones that are on the market, but ones that have sold. Hey T, I went to your website and I saw these 10 properties that you sold and I went and drove by all of them. And I can tell you right now, I'd have no interest in these six, Mm -hmm. but these four are still interesting to me. 
immediately I've got a better feel for, oh, I know what this buyer likes and more importantly, what they don't like. So I'm not going to waste time with them. So the next time they call me about a property or I've got a property that I want to present to them, I go back to those notes and they didn't like that part of town or they did like that part of town because of reasons one, two, and three. So acclimating themselves to the market, taking the initiative to drive by properties and provide that feedback. I think number two is how are you going to pay for it? Yeah. Um, you <laughs> details. Know, those are details. Come on, we'll brush over those. <laughs> so somebody that's willing to share financial information, here's the amount of cash I have on hand. Here are the lenders I've talked to or, hey, T, who do you recommend I talk to? And then a simple follow-up of, hey, I reached out to lender ABC. I appreciate that referral. And here's the information I've provided them. And they say, I'm good to go. That's obviously a great sign that, again, that they're serious about actually making something happen. And then I think buyers that are willing to also maybe even start taking the steps of putting together the whole team of, oh, I've engaged this contractor, I've engaged this inspector, I've engaged this property manager to be part of my team. Here's the attorney that I'm going to use. Because all those are steps that have to be taken. And the buyer that has that formula put together on the front end is one that we know is serious. Mm -hmm. As far as someone on the how you're going to pay for it part who plans on bringing in other investors, what would sound good to you that that person can say while they're still being transparent and truthful? Absolutely. Uh, great question. And the reality is in the market we're in right now in 2018, a buyer that is putting together equity partners really has to have the money committed and the LLC or the joint venture documents drafted. If you're waiting for a property to then pitch back to your investors and, okay, now it's time to finalize these LLC documents, the property is going to be sold by the time you get there you really need to go ahead and formalize those partnerships. And that's really not even so much for the broker that I say that is for the seller. When a seller in this environment is looking at multiple offers, those are the questions they're going to be asking and going to make the buyer's offer that much stronger if they have those details in place. And then just to ask a follow-up on that, because when we do syndications, we don't have the new entity formed for the property we're about to buy until after we actually have it working through the contract and we don't have the money committed for that particular property because we haven't shared it out. But when we do get it under contract, then we fund it and all is good and we close within 60 days or whenever we need to. So in what you just described, my group wouldn't qualify, but help me understand that a little bit. Sure. I appreciate the chance to clarify. I guess I was still answering within the context of a newer buyer or beginning investor. Fair enough. Within the context of somebody with a track record, certainly you have the ability to point back to that track record and get the seller and the brokers and anybody else involved to a level of comfort. So as far as a newer buyer, beginning investor, they've got some real estate experience but they haven't closed on, say, we'll use a 100 unit for an example. You've got a 100 unit and the newer investor has some real estate experience, not a lot. They do have the team together and they're from out of state, but they've got a 
team bio sheet with some of their lead investors on there, what would that do? If anything, would that qualify them? In my mind, absolutely. I think without a doubt, somebody that, again, it's, it's as much about communicating effort and thoughtfulness and planning as anything. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, the spirit of those actions speaks for itself. Okay. Interesting. Good stuff. You dashed hope and now you're giving back hope, <laughs> giving back hope to some beginning real estate investors who are looking to do larger deals. There's always fallback positions. <laughs> well, with how you work with your clients, there are some situations I imagine that aren't cookie cutter in terms of the broker fees that are charged. So for example, if you have an off-market deal and you send it to a qualified buyer that you've got a good relationship with, what would that fee be compared to if you were to market a deal for a seller and that seller paid you to do the whole song and dance, create a offer memorandum, do the tours, all that stuff? How do those two fees compare if they are different at all? They are different. And I think last year we did, I'd say we, Deaton Investment Real Estate is a three-man brokerage shop that works as a team. And we were fortunate enough to actually be recognized just this week by CoStar as one of the power brokers in our market, which is great. Congrats. Of course. Well, thank you. But of course, we're always like, all right, where's the next deal? It doesn't matter what we've done (laughs) in the past. But we almost hit the $100 million mark in volume last year. And I think I should have known this coming into the conversation, but I want to say about 50% of those were off-market transactions. Mm -hmm. And a very high percentage of those were the efforts of cold calling and scratching. And we've got a buyer and we got to find something for them to buy because there's just not enough on the open market. And in those situations, we are negotiating those commissions on a deal-by-deal basis. Obviously, the larger deals, and I would say... In our world, anything over eight, nine, certainly $10 million qualifies as a quote unquote larger deal. Not uncommon that we just get a flat fee of maybe it's $150,000 or something on a deal like that as a finder's fee. And depending on how thin the deal may get, our clients sometimes have to come back to us and say, hey, can you help me out here? And obviously, we want to get deals done. So we're open to have those conversations. Whereas a listing agreement, is going to be more percentage-based, and we see them get capped from time to time, but we certainly try to get a healthy enough commission that we can get paid. And we really are proponents of co-brokerage splits that in the multifamily world is not very commonplace anymore. Our advice to sellers is that the market will speak for itself. Mm-hmm. If you truly expose the property to the maximum amount of qualified buyers, they will tell you what it's worth. And through competition, you will drive the price and you generate that competition by incentivizing other brokers. Mm -hmm. So in a world where it is not uncommon for multifamily brokers to list properties with their own commissions taken care of, but with no co-brokerage payout, we try our best to advise sellers that that is not in their best interest. Doesn't mean we always get to that end result, uh, but that is certainly some of our best ever advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. What would the 
numbers look like in terms of the splits being on a just either a deal you've done in the past or hypothetical when you sell a deal and you do that split? Yeah, it's uncommon that you're going to get paid more than a 6% commission. And in that scenario, we've split as high as 50-50 with 3% and 3%. And everything can be deal specific with level of complexity on either side of the table, exactly how that gets split. But we try our best, again, to incentivize the other brokers out there running around with qualified buyers to come our way because we hope folks will do the same for us when when Mm -hmm. we're in there and in their shoes. Excuse yeah, me. it's it's a win-win, win-win-win-win. I think a lot of people are winning there. <laughs> and, and one of the objections we have to overcome with our sellers is, look, this actually gives us more incentive to want to sell it ourselves because then we don't have to share it. But if we do, there's meat on the bone for everybody. Mm-hmm. And why wouldn't a seller say absolutely as long as if they're saying if you want to split your fee, fine with me as long as you just sell it for the best price? Why wouldn't 100% of the sellers say that? I think there's a, well, especially in the market we're in right now, there's a perception that there's enough buyers out there that it doesn't matter. And I'm going to pay you your fee. And I've got plenty of other brokers chasing me right now. (laughs) So I can negotiate your fee down to a pretty thin margin. Then if you want to share that, that's up to you. But generally in those scenarios, there's not enough meat on the bone. So Mm -hmm. it makes it pretty difficult to do that. That's one of the downsides of a good market for a broker. We do more transactions, but oftentimes we're taking a haircut. Yep. Pros and cons, every market. I just wanted to circle back to something, Joe. On the buy side, I guess part of my advice would be a broker really can be a buyer's best resource. We obviously feed our families by doing deals, and the folks that make it easy for us to do deals with them are the ones that we call first because we feel like we're going to be protected. They've proven themselves either through closings or through other actions that they're serious and willing to compensate us for finding them something to buy. So if it's an off-market deal, and look, there can be various levels on the off-market deal. There can be a, a simple finder's fee that might be a thinner commission than say, okay, this is a finder's fee, plus I want you to help me walk through my due diligence process. Mm-hmm. So if a beginning investor were to layer that in, what we talked about, and then you said, yeah, that sounds good, and then were to layer the finder's fee in and proactively offer that up, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think they'd be ahead of their competition and more likely to see more deals. Mm -hmm. I think where you have to be careful is, or what I would caution folks about is real estate can be a small world. Yep. And... There are a lot of brokers out there chasing deals and running with buyers. So you got to be a little careful about talking to too many folks because then you do kind of revert back to there's somebody else out there in the marketplace that's going to cut me out or not protect me if I bring them something. There's a level of trust there that still has to be created. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a tricky part of the process, especially when you're starting out and you don't have the track record or credibility. Maybe you don't have any contacts and you're just looking at LoopNet. Hey, they're listing some properties. Maybe they're an active broker. I'm going to reach out to them. I'm going to listen to this podcast with Joe and T. And T said that I'm going to set myself up really successfully with this broker if I do the things we talked about earlier, plus offer a finder's fee. Well, I do that. 
and then I don't really see too many deals. And I do that with three or four people, don't see too many deals. And now all of a sudden I've got maybe one or two of them eventually pick up, but then they bump into each other. And then is that a negative for me as an investor? Reality is in the real estate world, those situations are going to present themselves. They're almost unavoidable. My advice is always be truthful. And I think if you're above board with people and tell them, here's who I'm talking to, here's who I've talked with, or even simply asking the questions, why haven't I seen deals? Oftentimes, brokers are going to give you feedback. Well, you told me you wanted this. You told me you wanted that. Your parameters are too narrow or they're too broad. We got to narrow it down some. But when those situations arise where maybe brokers are bumping into one another, you just have to bring everybody to the table and say, here's how this played out. And oftentimes those situations can be resolved with a very honest and candid conversation. Not always going to be the case, but in our world, that's proven to be the case more times than not. This is great stuff. One last follow-up question on something that I had in my notes, but I didn't fill in yet during our conversation. You said larger deals, over $8 million or so, and we talked about maybe a flat fee. What about less than $8 million? What's the range? You said perhaps up to 6%, but what's like the typical range for the fee? I really wish I could answer that question and say there's a level of complexity with every deal that varies. Again, I would say 6% is probably the max. And once you get over 5 or $6 million, that gets a little harder. $300,000 commissions are rare. I've seen them, but they're rare. Starts to work its way down into the 4 even 3% range. And then you get into portfolio deals where you're selling multiple properties and obviously commissions get cut even more from there if there's going to be multiple hit with one entity. So never going to fault a seller or a buyer for wanting to make the deal favorable to them as long as they keep in mind that, again, as a broker, this is how we bring value to a transaction and what we do. So obviously it's got to be worth our while too. And most of the folks that we work with see it both ways and hopefully that speaks to why we've had some success. This is going to be a tremendously helpful conversation for investors who are looking to get into larger deals. So really appreciate that. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I like to tell people to make small mistakes. I think a lot of people out there are always looking for the perfect deal or so scared to make a mistake that they get to the point of the paralysis of analysis. And I like to tell people, don't avoid mistakes, just make small ones. Yeah, I like that. You can always come back from a small mistake. Unfortunately, a lot of people didn't <laughs> follow that advice in 2008, nine. Those results spoke for themselves with the amount of leverage that was in the market. That was not a fun time to live through, but that would be my best ever advice. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I am. Far away. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. Why lose money in a schizophrenic stock market when you can make money outside of the stock market? Impact Housing REIT is a new social impact multifamily fund that delivers strong financial returns while improving the lives of residents and the planet. 
Go to impacthousing.com and tell them that I sent you. Best ever book you've read? Man, there's so many. I'm going to answer it with two. The first is going to be the Bible because that's where I get my roots and my values from. I'm actually reading a book right now called Halftime by Bob Buford that talks about going from a life of success to a life of significance and would highly recommend that. Best ever deal you've done? Just last year, off-market deal that we entered into in a position as the buyer and assigned to the eventual buyer as our way of collecting our commission. It was 100-plus units here in Raleigh and probably the one that we took the most risk on, too, but it worked out. (laughs) Is that typical to go under contract and then assign it? Not for us. That's not our typical model, but we had a seller that was very nervous about giving people information Mm. and that was the only way we could get information and we had a hunch that once we saw that information we would see an opportunity and our hunch proved to be right wow that's pretty cool hadn't heard of anything like that before it was not our intention going in there was a full intention to close it and then we realized actually after seeing the opportunity that it it perfectly matched a client that we've done a lot of deals with and decided to let them have the fun. (laughs) What was the total commission on that one? Uh, I can't tell you that. I wish I could. But but you you still had fun too. Yeah, we had fun too. And and I will say, I think it's uh, our biggest one ever. There you go. Good. And what's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Very minor typographical error in a contract that I assumed everybody knew was a, I say typographical, clerical error, that I assumed everybody knew was a clerical error and did not communicate thoroughly. And boy, did that come back and bite me. What was the error? Basically came down to whether or not a box was checked. And I should have just called everybody back to the table and say, hey, let's clear this up. And I made an assumption, and uh, turned out my assumption was not other people's understanding. So that kind of <laughs> goes back to the rule that I shared earlier, just always be truthful and above board. And it was not intentional in any way to mislead or misrepresent, but should have just gone ahead and had the conversation rather than letting it play out otherwise. But we worked through it, fortunately. Good. Good. Best ever way you'd like to give back? That's going to be my favorite question. So for me, my story, uh, I did not always have the greatest father present in my life and sports coaches, teachers, and a lot of uh, great men entered my life and filled that role. So I really enjoy being a coach for youth sports. My son is playing baseball. I coach his team. I help in many other capacities in sort of a similar way. I'm involved with a group called Purpose Driven Baseball, which is a faith-based baseball ministry that uses the game as a way to share the gospel, but really try to do it the right way and and teach kids more than just baseball, but teach them about life and about a life of character. So I really enjoy giving my time and and giving back that way. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? You can find me on our company website, which is deaton.com. That's D-E-A-T-O-N.com. My email link to LinkedIn profile, phone numbers are all right there learned so many things that will be helpful for investors who are looking to scale up, looking to establish more credibility with brokers. I'm just going to list some of the things you mentioned. One, consulting payment. Two, acclimate themselves to the market. Three, how you're going to pay for it. Have a plan for that. Four, 
for the referrals that you are provided by from the broker, if any, follow up with the broker about what transpired after that conversation and what was the result of it. Another is putting a team together, making sure you have that. And then lastly, offering a finder's fee for finding off-market or just deals in the transaction. So lots of great tactical things. Also talking to us about the fee structure and what we can expect it. Many variables in play, but some frame of reference you certainly gave us on different scenarios. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Jeff. Why lose money in a schizophrenic stock market when you can make money outside of the stock market? Impact Housing REIT is a new social impact multifamily fund that delivers strong financial returns while improving the lives of residents and the planet. Go to impacthousing.com and tell them that I sent you.